This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective Friday Live Room. I'm Tim Britton. Ted Berg has uh, the day off again. Uh, he should be back next week, which we're all looking forward to. Uh, it's always kind of weird when we do this live room because you start out uh, and like the first 30 or 60 seconds, you're waiting for people to populate the live room. Uh, and so I always feel like this this section where we like ask each other how we're doing uh, is just for posterity's sake. No one no one hears it. Uh, it's a Friday. Uh, the Nets are trying to trade Kevin Durant. It is very strange to follow the NBA um, and how complicated trades can be uh, with like um, <laughs> how difficult it is to match the salaries. I just imagine like calling in like 2007 and asking about the Mets trying to trade for Manny Ramirez and hearing Chris Russo yell back like they're not within the 125% multiplier. Uh, it's the NBA is strange. Uh, but uh, today is Bobby Bonilla Day, <laughs> um, which I, I don't know about you, Bobby Bonilla Day feels like it's uh, kind of old news at this point. Um, it's, it's kind of jumped the shark a bit, as, as Mike Puma put on, on Twitter. Uh, earlier today, and I, I feel like it has for a while. Uh, I think Mike Mayer, uh, Michael Mayer, who covers the Mets uh, for Metsmerize, did a, a great thread several years ago about just the number of different deferred contracts there are across baseball and how Bobby Bonilla is, is not the worst of them, not not by a far margin. Uh, I think it's Bruce Suter with the Braves has like a significantly worse deferred contract uh, than, than Bobby Bonilla. Uh, and he puts that up every July 1st, uh, and it is always worth going through to see that uh, we should not be retroactively criticizing the Wilpons for attempting to spend more money on the Mets, uh, given what we know. Um, but a couple of things before we, we get to the, you know, your questions uh, and, and everything you want to know about the Mets as they, they head into a weekend series against the Texas Rangers uh, at City Field. First time they're playing the Rangers at City Field since 2014, actually. Uh, the first of them is, is Jacob deGrom, um, you know, is uh, reportedly slated for a first rehab outing on Sunday night with uh, with the St. Lucie Mets. Uh, I don't think they're playing the Palm Beach Cardinals. That would be fantastic if they are. But they're, I believe they're playing the Jupiter Hammerheads. Um, and deGrom, it, it would probably be for an inning or two. Re- remember, unlike Max Scherzer, who, you know, really from the start of spring training was throwing five inning outings. Uh, DeGrom did not build up so much in spring training. I think his final spring training outing was three innings, uh, the one where he pitched in front of Scherzer. Uh, and so, you know, he doesn't have that base of innings that, that uh, a pitcher who got all the way through spring training would have had. And, you know, obviously DeGrom hasn't had that base of innings in a year uh, since last July. Uh, and so it's not going to be a rehab start or two. It's probably, my guess is at least four uh, maybe they get away with three. I would probably be conservative and, and make it four. So you, you start to to time out the dates and you say if the first one is July 3rd, then you can go the second one, July 8th, the third one, the 18th, uh, sorry, the third one, the 13th, the fourth one, the 18th. And then you look at July 23rd, kind of that first weekend back from the All-Star break. That's kind of how it times out. Um, actually, the, 
minor league all-star break might get in the way of that. So maybe it's it's the second week uh, after the all-star break uh, where uh, he's ready to, to pitch, you know, maybe against the Yankees there. That would be an interesting way of doing it. Um, so that that's kind of the, the latest update on DeGrom. Uh, one issue, you know, and, and we've had a couple comments, and this bothers me, uh, is the idea uh, that uh, one, one comment was DeGrom has a moral obligation to pitch for the Mets as much as possible this year, and the other is that he was he's fleecing the Mets with his contract. Uh, let's not. Let's not do that. Um, you know, Jacob DeGrom was underpaid for a long time uh, with the New York Mets, uh, really up through his contract extension uh, before the 2019 season. Even then, you could have argued that he was underpaid, given what he was doing for them uh, at that time of of his career when he was winning uh, a second consecutive Cy Young uh, in dominant fashion. Um, so I don't like the idea, and, and I've always hated the idea that, that fans construe injuries as like character flaws, uh, and they view them as, as kind of players not being mentally strong enough to, to play through them. Uh, and I, I don't like the idea of a, a player owes it to play because of his contract. Uh, so uh, let's, let's not say that, and let's not, let's not root against Jacob deGrom because he's making a, a fair amount of money. Uh, other thing to, to talk about is, is Francisco Alvarez. A lot of people have a lot of excitement around Alvarez and, and a hot streak that just continues for him in Double A Binghamton. Uh, whether you know, I, I wrote about the Mets' offense this morning, uh, kind of where they're at with their offense uh, and the lack of home runs that they average fewer than a home run per game. Uh, the last team to make the playoffs doing that um, in a full season. There were a couple teams in 2020. Uh, was uh, in 2016, I think it was 2016 Giants, uh, who then beat the Mets on a home run, if you remember. Uh, so Wednesday's game, you know, like the Astros hit a home run, the Mets didn't, and that was the difference. Uh, kind of threw into to stark light that the, the Mets could probably use some home run hitters, uh, could, could use some more home runs, um, especially in games against better starting pitchers like Justin Verlander. The way you beat a, a pitcher of Justin Verlander's caliber is you take him deep. Um, you're not going to build a three and four hit inning against a guy like that. Uh, the Mets couldn't build more than, than two hits in eight innings against him. Uh, so uh, I think that informs what the Mets might want to do with the trade deadline. If you think Francisco Alvarez is the solution, it's, you know, I don't know that you can bank on that confidently. Uh, having covered, like I, when I covered the Red Sox, they had a bunch of really good prospects that they called up, guys who have turned into really good major league players. Uh, Xander Bogarts in 2013, uh, who did not do much for them in the regular season, but then was outstanding in the postseason. Um, Asked Max Scherzer about the 3-2 slider that Bogarts took, I think, in Game Six of that ALCS, uh, that uh, for for a big walk in front of Shane Victorino's grand slam. Um, but you know. Bogarts was not the guy who, who put the Red Sox over the top in the regular season and then certainly struggled mightily for almost all of 2014 uh, as a young player, despite having this outstanding prospect pedigree. Uh, you look, you know, the Red Sox with Andrew Benintendi and Rafael Devers, those guys they called up in the second half of the season to be that kind of spark plug the way the Mets would think about with Alvarez. They, they, Red Sox did it with Yohan Moncada, too, and he lasted like a week. Uh, he struck out nine straight times and they, they said, this isn't this isn't the right guy. Um I don't think you can bank on a player uh, of Alvarez's relatively limited experience being uh, the spark plug you want him to be. It's possible, certainly. We've seen, you know, Gary Sanchez when he got called up, Reese Hoskins when he got called up. Those guys uh, had outstanding uh, first seasons in abbreviated stints. Uh, but I don't know that I feel like that's more the aberration than the the inverse. Uh, and certainly, like, Look at what Mike Trout did when he first got called up. Look at what Aaron Judge did when he first got called up. Those guys are amazing, amazing hitters, great players uh, who hit the ground running as soon as the next year. But 
they were not game changers in that first uh, first cameo at the major league level. I don't think you can count on Francisco Alvarez being that. So if I were the Mets, uh, I would say, you know, if if plan A going into the trade deadline uh, is um, you know, the guys on your own roster being <laughs> getting better and Eduardo Escobar and J.D. Davis hitting for more home runs than they have so far this year. I wouldn't make Alvarez plan B. I would I would have an external addition as plan B. I, you know, I might even have Mark Vientos ahead of Alvarez because of how he's closer to the big leagues uh, to see how that goes. But uh, I don't see anyone on the stage trying to add, trying to ask questions of me. Uh, please feel free uh, to, <clears throat> to enter the queue, see if you want to hop on board to ask questions live so I don't have to talk the entire time. Uh, I see some things uh, in the uh, comment section in the chat here. You can drop questions in there as well. Uh, are the Trey Mancini rumors true? Um, I haven't heard it myself specifically. I have no reason to doubt it. Trey Mancini is the kind of guy who would fit the roster. Uh, you know, the, the first base DH can play a little bit corner outfield. Uh, has done that for the Orioles. Um, you know, I think he's a guy who, like, you, you think hits probably sixth in a, a, a good order. Um, I would put Josh Bell ahead of him on, on what I would want to get if I were the Mets, but, uh, you know, the price would be higher. Mancini is such a difficult trade candidate for Baltimore because his value to that franchise, really that fan base, uh, is probably elevated beyond what his value on the field is to a different team. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a tight line for Michael Elias to straddle uh, of, you know, is it okay for him to trade Trey Mancini for probably what Trey Mancini is worth as a player, but what will be a disappointing return for Orioles fans who really like Trey Mancini and with good reason, kind of the, the last connection to uh, the successful Orioles teams of uh, the last decade and obviously getting through cancer, uh, having that great home run derby against Pete Alonso. Um, you know, I, I don't know how difficult that is for someone like Elias who wasn't there for <laughs> the, those successful Orioles seasons, uh, who comes from the Astros school of relatively cold, calculated decision-making. Uh, but uh, I would imagine that there's a little bit more pressure on Baltimore to make a good trade there than it would be otherwise if you're talking about, you know, Anthony Santander or, uh, you know, Jorge Lopez for them, uh, other guys who they might move at the deadline. Um, what is, Clayton C. is asking, what is preventing the Mets from making a roster move regarding Chase and Shreve? He's been awful and Claudio has been fine in Syracuse. Um I, th- I think Shreve is probably on his on his last legs here uh, at the major league level. Uh, the the I think it's 17 earned runs in his last 14 and a third innings uh, hasn't been. He's just given up too many home runs, really. Uh, I think it's six home runs in that span, which is way too many for a reliever to be giving up. Uh, and and hasn't you know not is, is not trustworthy certainly in high leverage spots uh, and and showed on uh, Tuesday night that he was not particularly trustworthy in uh, just uh, mop up spots either. Uh, and so uh, they have some options in the minor leagues. Uh, you mentioned Claudio. He's not on the 40-man roster. If you did, you know, DFA Shreve, that would open up a spot. You've also got Colin Holderman down there. Uh, he's back from his injury. Uh, you can call him up, you know, if if you feel like you don't need that second left-hander. And and again, we've we've said this again over and over since since early November, essentially. The Mets could use uh, a real left-handed arm down there uh, in addition to Joely Rodriguez. Uh, that a guy who can can pitch a seventh or eighth inning 
uh, from the left side when you're facing uh, significant left-handed hitters uh, the way Aaron Loop did for the Mets last year. Andrew Chafin, uh, actually, I, found, I was reading Cody Stavenhagen, our Tigers writer, uh, writing about Detroit trade candidates. I did not realize there was an, an option in Chafin's uh, contract. So uh, he could, you know, it's a two-year deal, but he could opt out of it after the first year. Uh, so I think that makes him even more appealing as a trade candidate from Detroit's perspective, um, unless they've gotten assurances that he wants to be there. Um, I'm not sure if he's from there or anything, uh, but uh, he's a guy who we have said for a long time makes sense for the Mets and, and I feel like makes even more sense given uh, his contract status. Uh, Chris P is asking, why trade for more starting when the bullpen and a reliable five hitters more pertinent? It's not like the Mets have a tre- treasure trove of prospects like they did in 2015. Um yeah, like, I, I don't think starting pitcher is their number one priority. Uh, I, I actually think it's probably ordered the way you're, you're suggesting, Chris. I think it's the bullpen is number one, and uh, a number five hitter is probably becoming number two the way the last month has gone for them. Uh, so I would say uh, that, that starter, uh, because you know you have Scherzer likely coming back next week in Cincinnati, you've got DeGrom at least starting uh, a rehab assignment uh, where you can get a better sense of, of the timing for him. You know, it's probably only going to be a start, one start for him before uh, the trade deadline. You don't want a situation like last year where you find out literally at noon the day of the trade deadline that uh, Jacob deGrom uh, is not going to pitch for you for a long time. Uh, you want to get a sense of where he's at before that point. Um, so, but I, I think like if, if there were a setback with, with Scherzer, if there were a setback with DeGrom, if there were an injury to one of the other uh, kind of three main starters you have in Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, and Carlos Carrasco, even if there's an injury to David Peterson, uh, you can probably consider making a, a depth starting pitcher move. Um, you know, for the kind of Rich Hill type that the Mets brought in last year. If it's if it's a setback to DeGrom or Scherzer, then maybe you talk about a bigger move for uh, kind of that Luis Castillo, Tyler Male, uh, Frankie Montas class. I, I don't know that the Mets, I mean, you, you point out, they do not have the, the number of prospects in the system that they did in 2015 when they went out and traded Michael Fulmer and Luis Sessa for Ioannis Cespedes. Um, so if, if they're going to trade one of their good prospects, uh, you would probably think it would be for a bigger bat than it would be for an arm at this point. Injuries can change that calculus. We saw that happen last year uh, when it didn't seem like the Mets needed uh, a shortstop, certainly at the beginning of July. Uh, they needed someone who could who could man that position by the end of the month with Francisco Lindor out. That kind of changed who they were targeting uh, from the Cubs uh, in, in Javi Baez. So uh, things can clearly change over the next uh, 32 days before the trade deadline. But that's how I would probably uh, settle it right now. Um, Michael W. asking, when can Mets fans expect Trevor May to return? Uh, Trevor uh, tweeted that he was throwing uh, in the outfield uh, the other day before the, I think before the Wednesday game against the Astros. Um, he, he told me uh, God, about 10 days ago that the, the All-Star break was kind of his target, um, that uh, you know, he's eligible to come off the, the injured list, the 60-day injured list. Uh, tomorrow, I think it is. Um, maybe, maybe that seems too early. Uh, he, he's eligible to come off the injury list before the All-Star break, uh, but is someone who's probably going to need uh, three to four rehab assignments. Uh, you know, obviously as a, a reliever, you can you can group those a little bit tighter than you can for Degrom as a starter. Uh, he can probably do three in a seven or eight day span. Uh, but I would guess, uh, like like Degrom, that you're probably looking at a Trevor May return 
after the all-star break. And again, that, that complicates your trade deadline timing. You know, you kind of want to know exactly what you have in Trevor May when you decide what magnitude of, of bullpen uh, addition you feel necessary. You know, if Trevor May comes out and is, is lights out for three weeks, uh, you feel like, okay, you've got a, a pretty good handle on who, who can throw the eighth inning for you. Uh, if he's uh, what he, if he looks like he did earlier this season, you're you're more concerned, obviously. And if, if he's what he was last season, which is like a pretty good eighth inning guy, not a not a lights out one, uh, then you still want to add another piece down there. I, I think they'll probably have to think of him as the last of those options. Like it, you, you have to assume he's going to be kind of what he's been uh, the last couple of years, which is a a very good seventh inning guy, a pretty good eighth inning guy. Uh, one you can probably supplement if not you're not looking for someone necessarily to replace him but someone to supplement him uh, as a setup man to Edwin Diaz. Uh, Patrick W says uh, I've read likely in some of your columns Tim that the organization would rather take on money than trade prospects. Uh, yeah I mean I think that Sandy Alderson has said uh, time and again uh, that the uh, that there are two currencies in baseball. There is money and there are prospects. Uh, and the Mets uh, are well-stocked in one and not the other. Uh, and they are flush with cash. That, that is the exact opposite of how they operated uh, even, even pretty recently under Brody Van Wagenen, where we saw the Mets trading prospects in order to bring in uh, quality major leaguers, I'll put quality in, in quotation marks with Robinson Cano, um, you know, they traded prospects rather than go out and sign guys uh, on the open market. That's why they made the trade for Edwin Diaz at a time when there were closers available on the open market. That's why they traded for Marcus Stroman rather than re-sign Zach Wheeler. They did not want to pay the amount of money it was going to take uh, to, to have a starter of that quality in their rotation uh, for, for 2020 at that point. Uh, and so they went out and traded prospects to bring in uh, someone under team control in Marcus Stroman. The, the calculus is different now. The Mets can take on money. Uh, they don't have to trade guys in order to, to kind of set their future plans. Uh, the issue with that is I don't know how many guys fit that bill this year. There's not a ton of, uh, you know, there's no like Zach Greinke out there, a guy that uh, a team desperately wants to unload his contract. And so uh, we'll get a little creative with you uh, to offload him. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. If there's a, a good enough player in that spot, you know, we, we talked about in the offseason with like Eugenio Suarez and the Reds, uh, and they made that move with, with Seattle to trade Suarez along with Jesse Winker. Uh, so Cincinnati, you know, doesn't have, I don't think they're looking at this point uh, to like pair Mike Moustakis with Luis Castillo or Tyler Molle. I, I think that that ship has probably sailed. Um, maybe Oakland wants to, to pair Elvis Andrus uh, with Frankie Montas, Andres has a vesting option for next season that he's on pace, I think, to to vest, but wouldn't uh, if he's on a different team. I don't think that would change the cost too much on a, a pitcher of that quality. I think they need to focus more. Th- th- those teams making those trades need to focus more on the, the prospect cost than the, the financial savings they would get in, in adding a bad contract. So I, I think you're right. That, that is what the Mets are looking to do, but I, I don't think that they have uh, – there's, there's not someone looking – they don't have a partner for that kind of deal. Um, and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. By, by this point, I think I'm, I'm just not seeing uh, people who are on asking the stage, asking to go on on the stage. Uh, I know this happened to Ted last week. Uh, so I'm sorry if you are trying to ask a question live. It's just not showing up for me to, to put you on stage. So please ask it in the chat if, if I haven't gotten to it. Um, Devin M is asking what prospects are considered in trades for bullpen help. Uh, I would think in bullpen help, the Mets do want to stay away from that top tier. Uh, and that top tier are the guys, basically the guys that you've heard of, you know, certainly Alvarez and, and Beatty. I, I do not expect them to be part of any trade conversations, you know, for whoever. Like, I think those are the guys you consider untouchable in the system. You know, Vientos and Mauricio are kind of the next class uh, of guys that, you know, if they're going to trade them, it's going to be for someone who's under team control beyond 2022. Uh, I don't think they're going to make the same kind of trade that they did last year, uh, a Pete Crow Armstrong type for, for one player. Um, unless it would have to be a really appealing player, one that I don't know exists right now, for a rental player, that is. Uh, I, I don't know that they would go that, pay that kind of cost to bring in, say, Josh Bell. Um, and I, I don't think they would do it for Wilson Contreras either, which is the, the next question probably. Uh, so I think you're looking at kind of, you know, the tier beyond those guys, kind of that middle class of prospects. And I wrote a story last year that that was what really hurt the Mets was they didn't have, they have a really good top part of the farm system. They don't have that secondary group. Uh, that's the secondary group. Like the, the San Francisco Giants traded two guys from that group to the Cubs for Chris Bryant. The Yankees traded a couple guys from that group uh, to Texas for Joey Gallo, uh, which has worked out great. Um, so, the, you know, when I, I remember talking to a couple people around the, the league uh, and they said, you know, like when the Mets were trying to trade for Jose Barrios, uh, it, you know, if they had someone in like it was going to take one of those top guys, uh, but it was going to take one of those top guys plus uh, someone in that set that secondary group. Uh, and the Mets did not have a good enough guy there, you know, so Toronto had Austin Martin uh, and Simeon Woods Richardson. You know, the Mets have traded a bunch of those, you know, we're talking about the class of a prospect that was Isaiah Green and Josh Wolf, guys who went to Cleveland uh, in the Lindor trade or or Woods Richardson, who went to Toronto initially in the Stroman trade. You know, maybe guys from last year's draft, uh, a couple of pitchers were having really good years like Calvin Ziegler and Dominic Hamill and, and Mike Vassell. Uh, maybe Keyshawn Askew. Maybe maybe those are guys you think of in that class now. I'm not sure the industry does quite yet, uh, but I think those would be the type of guys you'd be thinking about. And and honestly, I wonder if uh, Colin Holderman is a guy that is appealing to uh, another team as kind of a one-for-one bullpen swap. Uh, you know, if you trade Holderman for uh, a guy who has uh, only um, you know two months or a year and two months left on his contract, um, that's that's an option. I'm it honestly feels like it would be a, a lot for the Mets to spend on a bullpen option, given how Holderman has pitched for them so far. Uh, but I think that he would probably be a guy that other teams are interested in because of the team control. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeremy O, the Mets seem to be handling injuries more carefully this year. Uh, the example, holding McNeil out for a week. Has there been a change in staff or philosophy on the medical side? Uh, uh, 
Not a change in staff on the medical side. Um, I, I think the Mets have been trending in this direction um, over the past couple of years. Uh, I think we they, they've, they're far removed from the Jeff Wilpon instructing Pedro Martinez to pitch because they've got a nice crowd kind of mentality that the Mets had for a while. Um, they A, they have some, op- some realistic options behind a guy like McNeil. They can start Luis Guillorme. Uh, it's not, you know... I always feel bad for Eric Campbell and John Mayberry Jr. They get thrown under the bus so much uh, by this fan base, but they are kind of the poster children uh, for that uh, dynamic. Uh, B, that they're in a comfortable spot in the standings where uh, they can afford to take that time off with McNeil. I mean, I think the the really conservative approach would have been just putting McNeil on the injured list. He ended up missing, I think, six days uh, when he could have, you know, you put him on the IL. You don't play short for those six days. It's a little easier to play short now with that, with the DH. Uh, so it's less of a concern. Uh, but I, I, I do think with McNeil in particular, he he is kind of a, a unique player uh, with his leg issues uh, that they, they want to be extra careful with him. There have been times where, you know, it crops up a little bit and he leaves the game and he comes back in a day or two and then he hits the injured list uh, for two weeks, uh, five days later. Uh, so th- that's what they want to avoid uh, is, you know, he kind of shows the initial signs of something at first. Uh, and then it it snowballs on him. So that's what the Mets want to avoid with McNeil, uh, and that's why they were extra cautious with him uh, the, this past week in getting him back in lineup. We do have someone in the queue, so you can hear someone else's voice besides mine. Will B, welcome to the stage. I'm good, man. Um, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, big picture. Uh, it feels like the Mets are kind of through kind of a tough stretch of the schedule, and it feels like the Braves are maybe cooling off a little bit. Do you think the team can start to maybe relax and feel a little bit better about the division than they were a couple of weeks ago? Um, you know, thanks for the question, Will. Uh, I'm not sure. The, the Mets in the clubhouse never seem to feel specific pressure from the Braves. You know, it's, it's June. Uh, I don't think anyone expected this to be uh, the kind of race where the Mets – ran away with it the way it looked like they would at the end of May. Uh, it is, you know, Atlanta, uh, really the sport as a whole in June was kind of weird and stratified. You had teams like the Yankees, Atlanta, Philadelphia, uh, who had just ridiculously good months of June. It, I think it's rare to see, it's rare to see any team go like 20 and five in a month like the Braves did. Uh, and then like they were not even the best major league team in June. The Yankees had a better record. The Phillies, I think, were 18 and eight in June. So, you know, the Mets went 13 and 12 in the month. That's not a bad month. Same same record the Dodgers had uh, in the month of June. Uh, but uh, they were, <laughs> they you know, they lost ground to, to two teams in their division who were playing really well. Um, you know, I think because of the way the league is stratified now, there are these specific parts of your schedule that are significantly easier than others. The Mets are kind of getting into one now with, with Texas, who's, you know, better than I think they, they have been in the past couple of years. They're close to 500. Uh, but then Cincinnati uh, and Miami, uh, then, then you get Atlanta uh, in the, the week before the All-Star break in Atlanta for three, and then the Cubs for four to finish it off. So really three, only three games before between now and the All-Star break are against winning teams. That is an opportunity for the Mets, and in particular that, that series in Atlanta, to kind of put some space again between them uh, and the Braves. But I, I don't expect them to build this out to a, an eight or nine game lead again anytime soon. I think this is going to be uh, a race uh, really down the stretch of the entire season. And it's uh, like, I, I think the Mets are in pretty good playoff position. I, I don't think that's as much of a concern at this point, but uh, when you think about what you want to do in the month of October, winning the division and, you know, hopefully uh, the way it's set up now, getting a, a number one or number two seed uh, in the national league. Uh, I actually think that the two seed might be preferable uh, given the way the Padres have played. Um, 
getting that seed, uh, getting that first round by, you don't have to play a wild card round, uh, even if it's at home or away. Uh, that that would be a, a huge benefit and makes it even more imperative to win the division. I, I think you know a lot of people wondered last year whether it was worth it for the Dodgers to try to chase down the Giants the way they did at the end of September. Uh, and uh, you know I think now in, in the current scenario where you get a buy in that spot as well, I think it, it makes even more sense for a team to go after uh, winning the division. So thanks for the question, Will. Uh, let's see here we have. A question from Yanni, uh, talking about the 2015 Mets, who traded for uh, Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, Tyler Clippert, and Addison Reed, in addition to Yuanis Cespedes. The Mets needed all of those guys to win the pennant, of course. Uh, the 2022 Mets are, are much better than the first half 2015 Mets, but do they need to make more trades in quantity instead of just one or two trades for high quality? Uh, I, I, I do think there's not... You know, unless it's a trade package deal, uh, I do think there's probably more than one trade the Mets need to make. Um, I don't... I'm trying to think if there's like a team that offers up the, the kind of bullpen arm plus uh, good middle of the order bat plus maybe depth starter package for the Mets. I, I don't think that team exists. Um, unless <laughs> Maybe it's the Cubs. If, if you go after Contreras, Robertson and I don't know, Kyle Hendricks, that would cost a lot. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing that probably. So I do think, you know, that, that Uribe Johnson trade. Uh, was such a big deal for the 2015 Mets because of the Eric Campbell, John Mayberry situation we talked about, like just raising the floor of what your lineup was going to be on a regular basis. Uh, that was a move that was really important for that team. I don't think this Mets team needs to make a move like that because I think they they fortified themselves in the offseason in such a way that, uh, you know, like they're not playing guys of that quality on a regular basis. Uh, so, you know, I think they don't need to go out and, and make that kind of deal you know, I think the the Addison Reed one is a really interesting one because remember that that was an August trade, that was a waiver trade. Reed was a guy who was having a down season as Arizona's closer. Uh, you know, had been good before that, but not dominant uh, as a closer. Um, I feel like I, I use that spectrum very <laughs> very often with with late game relievers. You can be good, but dominant is is you know a sub two ERA, a guy who strikes out. Uh, like 13 and a half per nine, a guy who has a whip under one, like that's a different level of performance to me. Uh, and so the Mets got Reed for not very much. I'm trying to remember, was that Matt, Matt Cook in that deal? Um, so it, it wasn't like they gave up a ton in order to get Addison Reed, uh, and he was outstanding for them, not just in 2015, but but into 2016. And I think if you're looking for that kind of option, uh, a guy who stands out to me uh, on the the market now would be like Oakland's Lou Trevino. If you look at Trevino has an ERA, I, it starts with a six or seven. Uh, so it looks terrible. I was looking at this the other day. His batting average on balls in play is 500, 500, not, not 400, not 360. It's 500. Uh, so really all of his indicators suggest that uh, he's not that far off from being the guy he was for Oakland for the last couple of years, which is a pitcher that's, you know, about as good as Addison Reed was for Arizona at the time. Uh, and so I think, and, and he's under team control beyond this season, that would be kind of the Addison Reed move if the Mets wanted to make that. Um, you know, again, the, the, that Mets team, they added Clippard as well. Uh, that would be, you know, kind of the David Robertson move, uh, that kind of guy to bring in uh, to offer kind of stability to the seventh and eighth innings. Uh, I don't know that they need two relievers quite that way if they get one good one. Um, you know, certainly if they get one good left-handed one, uh, that, that solves a couple different issues for them. But I, I do agree with the basic premise. This is not a one trade and, and you're good situation. Uh, I think there are a couple of trades they need to make uh, to, to get to where they want to get in October.
Um, Jonathan M is asking if I think that Dominic Smith and J.D. Davis both get traded. I do not expect both to get traded. Uh, it would not surprise me if one of them is traded. Um, I would think that would be more likely to be Dominic Smith. Uh, I think you're getting to the point with Smith where you know you're you're in that awful chicken or the egg situation where uh, he can't hit well without playing time, and you can't give him playing time until he hits well. Um, he's you know he's looked pretty good in uh, his return to the majors, um, but. It just isn't that regular everyday slot for him because they're not going to play him every day against right-handers, I don't think, because uh, they've still got Davis and Guillaume uh, taking at-bats in that spot. So uh, it could be time. You know, We talk about who's available to trade for a reliever. Uh, maybe Dominic Smith is in that category as well. Uh, you know, He's got a couple – I believe he's under team control through 2024, so it's two years after this, uh, which means you know it's, it's still plausible for a team that's rebuilding to view him as someone that they can – uh, get value out of when they're going to be good again. Uh, you know, and for, for so many years, the, the talk has been like, oh, just trade Dom or JD for a reliever. Um, and now I think we're at the point where that actually makes sense. Uh, Chris P is asking, how concerned should the Mets be with their weak offensive June? Do you think it was more a product of a tough schedule or something that is an outlier? And they'll return to their April and May production. Uh, this is the story I wrote this morning uh, that uh, about the Mets offense. That you know, you look at what they were doing in April and May, uh, and that seemed less sustainable than what happened in June. April and May feels more like an aberration to me than than June does, uh, just because you look at, you know, they hit 290 with runners in scoring position in April and May. Uh, I believe it was 237 in June, which is kind of more in line with what Major League Baseball is doing. Uh, they hit uh, 315 on. Batting average on balls in play uh, in April and May, it was 272 in June. 272 is low. Uh, that will rebound, but uh, 315 was too high. That, that That's a regression of the mean. You know, they in April and May, they hit 276 on ground balls. Ground balls, are, are you're talking about an average uh, down closer to 200 for most teams. It was 241 uh, for the Mets in, in June, which is still pretty decent uh, given the, the, the context. So I think, yeah, the, what, what I wrote is essentially that you're worried about a team that, that cannot – that needs to generate offense um, by moving the line, getting base hits, uh, running the base as well. Like that's a really fun style to watch, um, unless you're playing the 2015 Royals. Um, and, you know, it's a fun style to watch. It's it's different from how so many how so many teams play now. But there's a reason so many teams play the other way now uh, and, and going for home runs, and it's because that seems to work better. Um, it's just it's very difficult against really good starting pitching against the kind of starting pitching. The Mets saw from, from Houston, especially this last week in Framber Valdez and Justin Verlander, the kind of pitching the Mets saw in Los Angeles, too, uh, with, with Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson. They got to Walker Buehler and, and Julio Urias a little bit. Um, uh, Buehler they got to uh, legitimately, uh, but, you know, he was not his best self at that time uh, and, and probably pitching through something. Um, you know, against guys like that, it's just really hard to build a three and four hit inning. Um, and against, you know, shut down relievers late in games, it's really hard to build a three and four hit inning. Uh, and so you need, uh, you know, that, that two run homer, uh, you know, with a guy on first in the ninth inning, the way the Astros got the other day. You know, that's what you're looking for uh, from time to time to kind of supplement your offense. You know, the Mets, they're, they're scoring only, I think, 36 percent of their runs on home runs. Uh, we've seen teams up over 50 percent last couple of years. You don't want to be super reliant on home runs. But if you look at the postseason really since uh, since those Royals in 2015, uh, the team that hit more regular season home runs generally wins a postseason series. I think it's 21 and 14 in that time, a 60% winning percentage. Uh, so I, I do think the, you know, if 
if the thought was at the end of May that, you know, okay, they could add, and I wrote this at the time, uh, they could add, maybe add a bat, uh, a guy like Andrew Benintendi or something would be kind of the, the highest level guy you'd go after. Uh, I think they need to aim a little higher than that, or at least a, a different profile than that. Uh, and that's why I think we'll hear a lot about Josh Bell in the next couple of weeks. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Um, this has been fun. Uh, I'm losing my voice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how guys who call baseball games for three and a half hours every night uh, talk for that long. Uh, it is difficult for me, even like a normal podcast, it's difficult for me to talk for as long as this. So uh, thanks for joining us. Ted should be back next week. Uh, we'll have our normal scheduled podcast probably Tuesday and the live room on Friday. Um, this has been a blast and I'll talk to you then. Adios. Adios.